So it's good to be back with you this morning. It's a special day. It's Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to all the mothers that are out there. I'll put a picture on the screen. If we go to my PowerPoint, I'll show you a picture of my mother and my family. Uh, if you guys want to go to the PowerPoint. And as I thought about today's uh, message, you know, Pastor Tim has started a new series on growing in grace. And that's my mom and I dancing at my wedding. And so if you don't know, my mom uh, had eight kids. So I'm one of eight kids. I'm the third. Um, and my, I don't know if my parents just didn't know birth control or if they, they really took seriously be fruitful and multiply. I, I don't know what it is. My dad used to joke and said he had a lot of kids just in case he lost one. It wouldn't be that big of a deal. And, you know, what's even more crazy is my mother homeschooled us all. So she, she homeschooled us all the way from, all the way up to college. Um, so, you know, the effect and the influence that my mother has had on my life is tremendous. And there's one thing we all have in common in this room. We all have a mother. And I would venture to say the impact and influence that your mother has had on your life is substantial. Now, it might not be good. It might be good. Hopefully it's good. It might be a short time. It might be a long time. But the impact that mothers have on our trajectory in our life is really substantial. And as I thought about this series that Pastor Tim has launched, and you know he was traveling so he couldn't continue the series and asked me to teach this week, I thought about, you know, wouldn't it be neat, this series of Growing in Grace, to just go to the mothers of the Bible. Because it's Mother's Day, it seems appropriate. Let's go to just four different mothers of the Bible and just look at some of their stories and try to glean, I call it golden nuggets, uh, when I'm talking to my sales ta- staff when we're studying stuff, I say, look, that's a golden nugget. But just try to glean some golden nuggets out of the stories that these godly mothers in the Bible have lived before us and really giving us testimony of things we can apply to our own life. But before we go there, I thought it would be funny, and you guys would enjoy this list of things that mothers have taught us that I found. And as I read through this, I laughed literally out loud because these are some of the things my mom said some of these exact things to me, and maybe you have camaraderie with this. See, our mothers, they're super important in our lives because they teach us logic. My mother would say to me, if you fall off that swing and break your neck, you're not going to go to the store with me. I said, okay. My mother, she taught me humor as well. She would say, if the lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't come running back to me. I don't know if your mother's taught you that. My mother taught me a lesson in genetics. She said, Luke, you're just like your father. My mother taught me anticipation. I heard this a lot growing up because I was kind of a wild child. Just wait, Luke, until your father gets home. My mother taught me about religion in a good prayer life. She said, you better pray that stain comes out of the carpet. Our mothers taught us about the circle of life. Maybe you've heard this. I brought you into this world, Luke, and I can take you out of this world. And then my favorite thing that my mother taught me is justice. She said, one day, you will have a kid. And I hope, I hope he turns out just like you. I just can't wait. So, literally, my mom said that to me multiple times as a kid, is, I hope you have a kid just like you so you can see what I've gone through. 
But all jokes aside, I want to walk us through just four different mothers in the Bible, just very quickly and briefly this morning. And I want to walk us through a little bit of where they were at in their story and some profound wisdom and principles we can glean from their example. And the first one, if you guys want to, you can follow along. We're going to go to the Old Testament. The first mother we're going to look at is the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And I'm going to read her story because I think it's important. It is 19 verses, but I'll I'll speed through it. Now, Janice, I apologize because she asked me to speak slowly, and that's just not in my nature. I'm just such a fast talker, but I'm going to try to speak slowly so Janice back there can do a great job translating. But let's read the story of Hannah. And out of this story, I think there is an incredible truth that we can take away from Hannah's example in the scriptures here. So this is 1 Samuel chapter 1. And here it goes. There was a certain man from Ramathim, a Sufite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkahan. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Paniah. Paniah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peniah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli, the priest, thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out of my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel saying, because I asked the Lord for him. So as we look at this story of Hannah, 
there's a couple things I want to point out. And I think all of us can have a little bit of camaraderie here. Some of you maybe have experienced in your own life this pain of not being able to have a child. And Mother's Day might be a day that is actually a day of pain for you, not a day of celebration. And for those of us who don't have children, or that's not our pain, all of us can have camaraderie. How many of you have had trials and tribulations in your life? Raise your hand. How many of you have had great misery in your life? How many of you have been in times that your life, I remember a time specifically in my life in my teenage years when I was 17 years old at Fluvanna Baptist Church late at night, it was probably 1 a.m. in the morning, and I was weeping on the altar, weeping, because I had left the church and I was just so torn inside of, is, is God real, is he not real? And going through this tremendous struggle. And each and every one of us in our lives face that. If you haven't faced that, you will. You will face times of misery in your life. And that's where Hannah is. And even more so, if you look at the context of this time that Hannah lived in, not being able to have a child in this time was a, a thing of shame because they took it that the Lord wasn't showing favor on you. So it was, it was something shameful for her. And she talks and she goes through this year after year after year, this pain and this misery. So what is the example that Hannah shows us? What's the principle that God is trying to teach us in this scripture right here? What would Hannah say to us today if she stood on this stage? What testimony would she give? And I believe what she would say is that, and I'll go back here, Hannah would say that you need to cast your burdens on the Lord. What we see in this scripture right here is a woman who faithfully, faithfully prays and casts her burdens on the Lord year after year after year. And I would say, and go as far to say, that Hannah wouldn't just say you should and encourage you to. I would say she says you're commanded to. If we look in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Psalms 55, 22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will not allow the righteous to be moved. What Hannah understood is that in her deep pain and in her misery, there's only one place to run, and that's to the Lord. And she cried out to the Lord in her misery, in her, in her weeping, in her bitterness, she cried out to the Lord. And it's the first lesson I think this biblical mother teaches us, is that in our times of despair, in our times of burden, we must cast our burden on the Lord. She also teaches us the second point, which is the power of prayer. A mother's prayer is extremely powerful, but Hannah just did not pray one time. She was faithful in her prayer. See, most of us, I don't know if we fall into this temptation. I fall into this temptation. We fall into the temptation of we try to fix our own problems, and we don't cast our burdens on the Lord, and we try to fix it ourselves. Or second, we pray one time, and when we don't get an answer, we get more bitter or we get more upset, or we expect the Lord to answer our prayer immediately. And the example we have here is Hannah just didn't pray one time. Hannah prayed for year after year after year. How many things and how many people have you been praying for? For years and years. And I've heard testimonies of people praying for their friends for years 
until they come back. And this encouragement and the lesson we can learn from Hannah is we need to cast our burdens. Our first thing in misery and first thing in our pain should be to cast our burdens on the Lord. Second, it should be to seek Him in prayer, faithfully praying consistently. And then third, it's appropriate to state that she dedicated her child to the Lord. So it's Mother's Day, and it's about dedicating your child to the Lord. For those who don't have children, I would encourage you to look at Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1 talks about, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, to present your body, so dedicate you, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable act of service and worship. So if you don't have a child to dedicate, This same principle applies that as you cast your burdens on the Lord, as you seek Him faithfully in prayer, as He answers your prayer, your reasonable act of service is to dedicate your life and to give your life as an offering to Him. Dedicating your children to the Lord means we see that our children are gifts from the Lord. Every child is precious, is a precious gift from God. Dedicating our children to the Lord also means we see that our children need spiritual guidance. As parents, we have a responsibility to raise up our children in the Lord. This means we teach them about Christ. Deuteronomy 6-7 says, These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from them. I'll give you an encouragement to all the parents out there. If you're investing in your kids right now when they're young, it makes a huge difference. There have been so many trials and struggles in my life when I've been tempted to leave Jesus, to leave the church. And the roots that have been dug into me deep, from my childhood and what my parents have taught me in the Bible studies they had with me have come back to my memory. I am a testament of this verse of Proverbs 22.6 which says, train up your child in the way they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. It comes back to me. Uh, we did wisdom books which were a study through the Bible every year when we were children. Those memories still pop into my head and I say that to you as an encouragement that you as a parent, you need to dedicate your children to the Lord and raise them up in Christ. And this moves me on to my second person and persons that I want to share with you. I want to share with you about Lois and Eunice and this is the verse that Carl read. Lois was the grandmother of Timothy, and Eunice was the mother. So a point to us all is that you don't just have to be the biological mother to make an influence in someone's life. You don't have to be the biological grandmother to make an influence in someone's life. You can be the Sunday school teacher. You can be the ministry leader. You can be a friend to make an influence. The point still stays true. But we see here in 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 5, and I'll just read 3 and 5. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that you may be filled with joy. I I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Here's the key point. Which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives also in you. See, we see what Paul is recognizing here in the text, and I think it's critical for us to see. What Paul is pointing out is that 
Timothy was brought to faith. Yes, he was converted through Paul's ministry. Timothy was a disciple of Paul and ministered with Paul and was a missionary with Paul. But the real influence that brought Timothy to Christ was the influence of his grandmother and of his mother in their sincere faith. And we see godly mothers are women of sincere faith. What we can learn from godly mothers in the Bible and we can learn from Lois and Eunice is we must be of sincere faith. Having a sincere faith does not imply perfection. Understand that. Lois was not a perfect human being, neither was Eunice. We don't know a ton about them, but I can promise you they weren't perfect human beings. But it does imply reality with God. So what do I mean by that? Sincere faith means that you have sincerely believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. It means that you walk in reality with Christ each day, spending time in His Word and in prayer. It means that you confront yourself with Scripture. And you judge your sin on the thought level, not just the action level. The thought level. Jesus said, if you lust after a woman just in your heart, you've committed adultery. So you deal with yourself even on the thought level. It means that when you do sin against a family member, you ask their forgiveness and seek to work on your weak areas. It means that you develop godly character qualities and attitudes of submission, thankfulness, and joy in the Lord. For all the mothers out there, your kids will realize that while mom is not perfect, she does walk with God. One of the most powerful ways that you can reach people is through your failures and your mistakes. So for mothers, when you fail, for fathers, when you fail, for friends, when you fail, in your ability to go and actually ask for forgiveness and say, hey, I messed up here. There's more power in that, in that sincerity of faith, than there is in you just teaching a Sunday school lesson to them. And it's a powerful, powerful point. The second thing that Lois and Eunice really did was godly mothers honor God's word and train their children in it. The main way your children will grow up to love and serve God is through his word. God's word of truth is powerful to save. James 1.18 says he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be, kind, be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The word of truth is also powerful enough to sanctify. John 17.17 17 says sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. The best thing you can do for your kids is to instill in them from an early age the importance of reading, studying, memorizing, and obeying God's word. It's the best thing we can do for our friends. It's the best thing we can do for our spouses. So how do we do this? How do we encourage people to be in the word of God? How do you do that in your lives and in your house? We must first and foremost Grow in our own love for God's word. You cannot impart to others what you do not possess. I'll say that again. You cannot impart to others the love of Christ if you don't possess the love of Christ. You cannot impart to others the the love for the word if you yourself are not in the word. If your kids seldom see you seeking God through his word, and if you don't have kids, replace it with your friends, your wife, your husband. 
If your kids seldom see you seeking God through his word, they won't catch it for themselves. If they don't see you changing through your growing understanding of an obedience to the word of God, they won't be motivated to be in the word for themselves. And here's where we'll get, it will get a little real for all of us. If the TV is on every night, but the Bible is seldom read as a family, guess what the kids will assume is the most important? So replace that with whatever hobby it is that you have in your life. We cannot impart what you do not possess. Lois and Eunice reached Timothy through their sincere faith because they had a love for the word and a sincerity of living out an authentic Christian life for Timothy, showcasing both their successes and their failures. Next example is Naomi. And just briefly, the story of Naomi is Naomi moved to the country of Moab with her husband and two sons because there was a famine So they had to move. And unfortunately, Naomi dealt with some tragedy in her life. She lost her husband when she first got there, if you read the story. She then ended up losing her two sons, so her whole family she lost. Her sons, though, were married. And the reason why I chose Naomi is because as I studied these mothers of the Bible, what I realized Naomi demonstrated for us is what I like to call as a selfless love. Naomi experienced such tragedy in her life, yet she unselfishly offered love and care for Ruth, her daughter-in-law. Naomi realized that Ruth was still a young woman and placed Ruth in a situation that allowed her to find a husband who was more than able to provide for her. Naomi never stopped being a mother, even though her two sons died. Every single one of us And I should internally reflect this on my own life and not preach it to you, but every single one of us, when tragedy happens to us in our lives, when pain happens to us at work, when we get into an argument, we let that affect our reaction. We let what happens to us affect how we respond. And what's amazing in the example we see from Naomi is she lost her husband and she lost her her sons, but yet she still chose to give a selfless love to the people around her, her daughter-in-law. What is affecting you in your life right now? What is the outside external, whether it's the devil that's affecting you, whatever it is, what is it that's going on in your life, in your health, in your relationships that you're allowing to control the response that you and how you treat other people? And what we can learn from Naomi is only through the spirit of Jesus, only through Christ's strength, not through our own physical strength, but it doesn't matter. We could lose our husband and our two sons and still respond with a selfless love. That's what Naomi teaches us this morning. And then the last mother I want to look at is the mother, Sarah. So Sarah in the Old Testament, I want to read Genesis 17, 19. And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. See, God promised a son to Sarah, but she did not believe him. And this goes back to the sincerity of faith. We can learn from the mistakes of mothers, and we can also learn from their successes. She did not believe them, believe God that he was going to give him a son. In fact, 
when she learned the Lord's promise, she actually laughed because she was so old and well-stricken of age. That's in Genesis 18, 11 through 12. Even so, though, God did what he said he would do, and Sarah conceived a baby in her old age, Genesis 21, 1 through 8. Even earlier in the book of Genesis, we see that Sarah was so desperate to give Abraham a child that she had her handmaid sleep with him. They had a son named Ishmael. What Sarah teaches us is Sarah teaches us that when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. It's not on our timeline, it's on God's timeline. And we have a tendency to do what Sarah does. Sarah tried to be God. She knew that God had promised Abraham that he was going to have the, all these nations. And so she tried to be that and offered up her handmaiden to Abraham. The lesson we can learn from Sarah is that we must lean, acknowledge God in all our ways. We must trust him, we must obey him, and we must patiently wait on him. Because if he says he's going to do something, he will do it. And when we take matters into our own hand, if you read the story of Sarah, what you'll see is that Sarah, when she took matters into her own hand, ends up the handmaiden has a son. And guess what happens when she actually has a son? When, when God's, what he says is fulfilled. There's strife in the home. It causes a ton of contention, a ton of problems. Actually, Ishmael had to move away because there was too much contention in the home. What is the point I'm trying to make? The point I'm trying to make is when we don't wait on God, when we take matters into our own hand, we cause strife and contention in our lives that are unnecessary. If we just wait and have patience and trust and obey that what the Lord says will come to fruition, our life will have favor with God and our life will go more smoothly. And in the times of trouble and tribulation, like we learned from Naomi and like we learned from Hannah, that in those times, we, instead of acting out, we actually cast our cares upon him. So in summary, I think there's a couple things we can learn from the mothers of the Bible that we can apply to our own life, even if you're not a mother. Today, If you're not a mother today, this still applies to everything. I have no kids. I'm married. But every one of these principles that they showed in their life applies to my life. One is we must seek the Lord faithfully in prayer. How many of us are praying daily? We must cast our cares upon him. When you have the struggles at work this week, is your initial reaction to solve the problem or is your initial reaction to cast those cares to Christ? And, and ask him for guidance through prayer. We must have a hunger for the word of God. Again, we cannot impart to others what we don't possess ourselves. Are we in his word every single day, learning and being transformed into his image because his word does not return void in our lives? Do we have a selfless love towards others? And are we waiting patiently on the Lord? Are we trusting in his promises? Are we obeying him and his commands to us as we live out our life? Because Pastor Tim talks about growing in grace. And we learn from Mark, what, what is grace? Grace is a free gift we don't deserve, given to us by Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection. He is the propitiation for our sins. He is 
the way to heaven, the way to eternal life. It's a free gift. And we want to grow in grace, which means what? We want to grow in more like Christ. And to become more like Christ, these are the attributes we need to practice and apply in our lives. So let's go before the Lord in prayer today.